Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Carrie. And, and we're, we're identical, identical twins. twins. We are so excited to talk to you about all things related to church music here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Now, each week we will break down a hymn. It could be an old favorite, or it could be one you've never heard of. But it is our prayer that you will worship with us no matter what song it is. So let's get started here on Hymn Talk, Twin Talk. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly. I'm Carrie. And And we're we're Identical identical twins. Twins. And you have found us on Him Talk, Talk, Twin Talk. Talk. All right, this is episode 80. 80. All right, Kelly and I kind of disagree here. <laughs> She's acting like this is some big milestone episode. I don't know. I mean, it's only 80. I mean, I think 80 is awesome. We are getting close <laughs> to 100. I kind of feel like every five after 75 is a big deal. 80, 85, 90, 95. Okay, so eight. All right, so we have like... Four duds coming up, <laughs> and then 85. I mean, it's just, I think 80 is amazing. I mean, we might have listeners who are just finding us. Right. Like, this number 80 is your first one. Oh, if you're here just now, thank you so much <laughs> for finding us. And find us on social media and let us know that yes. you've just found yes, us. Yes, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So this request came in from a listener on Twitter. Yes, all the way out in California. Yeah, he's from California. And if you're new, we're outside of Boston. We're on the East Coast. We are as far away from him Mm -hmm. as almost as possible to still be in America. Right, right. And we have connected on Twitter. Mm -hmm. He posts a lot of scripture verses and Christian content. Mm -hmm. And so we follow each other. And he ended up reaching out just to talk about a hymn. And he shared that he takes part in an assisted living ministry Mm -hmm. in his church. And they go to these assisted living places and lead worship. Mm. And he has a bunch of hymns on the flash drive Mm -hmm. and he leads worship. And he says, the residents absolutely love the hymns. And he said, you know, and so do I. Right. Oh, that is such a wonderful ministry. It feels like something we should do, Care. Can you imagine? He does three a week. That's crazy. So he's staying really busy, and he, his ministry must be blessing so many people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, today's hymn is an old one, and it is a very well-known one. We did drop some hints, and we're going to be talking about the hints in just a little bit. But it's a, one of those unique hymns that kind of crossed over denomination lines. Right, right. You'll find it in lots of different churches, in lots of different kinds of churches. So I wonder if that's what Ben from Twitter experiences, that he goes to the assisted living places and Mm -hmm. you have people from all faith backgrounds Mm -hmm. and they know a hymn like this Mm -hmm. no matter what church they they grew up going to but he said you know most of us grew up on these old hymns and the older we get yeah the more we appreciate them and it's true you know and i think that there are people out there musicians out there you know we've talked about reawaken hymns we've talked about sovereign music people who are kind of modernizing the hymns and mm-hmm. bringing them to a new generation. And in a way, I think that's what we're doing with Hymn Talk Twin Talk. Mm-hmm. We like to imagine that there's like listeners of all ages yeah. listening yeah. to Hymn Talk Twin Talk. We just found out that our friend, 
actually has the podcast on while her three children go to sleep. She has three girls mm-hmm. and they fall asleep listening to the podcast. <laughs> and she said that through- I'm not sure we have like soothing voices, I don't know. do we? She said that through the wall, sometimes she can hear giggling. Oh God. And she's like, what is that? What? Who's giggling? And she realizes- That it's us. The giggling is us. Yeah. <laughs> I know, we find our podcast very amusing. We crack up all the time. You have no idea how much we edit out some right, of the Right, laughing. all our laughing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, thank you, whoever you are for mm-hmm. joining us. Mm-hmm. And please give us a little hello on social media yes. if you would be so inclined. We'd love to know that you're listening. We'd love to know where you're from. Mm-hmm. You can find Him Talk Twin Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can always send us an email at himtalktwintalk at gmail.com. And one more plug, visit our website. Oh my gosh. I was forgetting <laughs> that. Carrie was forgetting. Himtalktwintalk.com. Yeah. And we have a little bit of merchandise little, that you can purchase. A little bit of merchandise. Yeah. If you're a fan of hymns or a fan of twins, <laughs> <laughs> you might, you know, appreciate some of the merchandise we have. Mm-hmm. Speaking of milestone episodes, we had stuff for our number 75. Right. Jesus, Jesus loves, loves me. me. And we'll put this in our show notes, but Sneha with SNS Handiworks is still selling the 31 hymn cards. Yes, yes. Now, this hymn won't be on it because it's <laughs> after she printed them. Right. Um, but there's 31 other awesome hymns. All right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this week's hymn. We right. know that it came from Ben. We know that it came from California. We gave some great hints this week. Yes. I mean, the biggest hint right there is that it is written by Charles Wesley. Oh, hashtag hymn legend. But care, he wrote over 6,500 hymns. So, I mean, that's not a, a huge hint. <laughs> you I have know. to pick one out of the 6,500 that he wrote. Right. Another hint is that it is often the number one hymn in especially Methodist hymnals. Right. So as soon as you open up your hymnal, yep, it's, it's number, number one. one. Now, we... Weren't going to share what number it was in our hymnal because all of our, everyone in our church family could just open it up. It's number 136 in ours. It is not number one. I mean, it's 135 off. <laughs> it is. It's 135 <laughs> off. And then the final hint, which I'm not sure if this is a hint at all, is that we have four verses in our hymnal. Some hymnals have five, but in Charles Wesley's original hymn, there are 17, 17 verses. 17 verses. Kelly. Was he really expecting his church family to sing this? Everybody sings 17 verses. Well, remember, he just wrote the words, so it was a poem. But we're going to get into that, Carrie. We're going to get into, you know, how he wrote it. So there you go. Written by Wesley, number one in the Methodist hymnal, 136 in ours. And it has four verses that we know, but 17 original do you know the hymn? Any guesses? We need a drum roll, Care. That, well, all I need is more sounds. <laughs> I know, right? More sounds. Do we have enough? All right. Today's hymn is... Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. <laughs> Woo! It is such a great hymn. Yes, and so it's funny because we have talked about Wesley on the podcast mm-hmm, before. Mm-hmm. We, If you have been a listener for a long time, you know this already, but if you're new, please go back and listen to episode 25, Christ, Christ the, the Lord, Lord is, is risen, risen today. today, and then episode 49, Jesus, Jesus Lover, Lover of My Soul. soul. So it kind of feels like every 25 or so we need to do a Wesley hymn. Isn't that funny? I really want to like know our stats. I mean, what other hymn writers have we had on the podcast three times? Mm. Mm. I'm not sure we've had anyone. I I know. Three times. I mean, I could like Isaac Watts would have been twice. Mm -hmm. 
And we're not done with Wesley. We're going to do more of We're his. done. We're, he's shut off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So uh, we'll go back. What we really wanted to do for this episode was touch on things about Charles Wesley that we hadn't really talked about before. So this isn't going to be just a repeat of his life, what we talked about in episode 25 or 49. We really have some new information on him. And so I think that we, on the next episode, when we do Wesley again, we'll have even more new information. Right. I mean, when we do our research, we dig deep. Yeah. You anybody who's listened to him talk mm-hmm. to him talk knows. We like to say we leave no stone unturned. <laughs> and the truth is, is someone like Wesley, right. there's a huge history there. Right. We have plenty to talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let us read the four verses okay. that are in our hymnal. I think that they are the most well-known, the okay. most common, the most familiar. And we have our friend Reluca Bajor. Mm-hmm. She's going to play the piano for us. Mm-hmm. She has a thriving piano ministry. Yeah. You've heard her on our podcast before. Yeah, so we met her on Instagram, mm-hmm. and she loves the, I mean, we pretty much find him lovers right. on social media. Right. But what's really cool, Kelly, she has just released her own piano course. Mm-hmm. I, I love this. So this is for piano players who already play the piano, but want to develop their ear. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to play by ear. She says that it's a skill that you can learn. And sure, there are some people who have good ears and whatever, but she is going to teach you Mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. She goes through some music theory, being able to understand the theory and kind of predict, know Mm -hmm. what's coming. Um, So I really think this is great. I I, I think this is wonderful for church musicians. Wouldn't you like to be able to play better by By ear? ear. Mm. So yeah, you can find her on social media, Mm -hmm. Reluca Bajor. Uh, We'll have her information in our show notes, but look her up, enjoy her music. And we're so grateful that she plays on almost every episode. So here's Reluca playing O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. And let's read Charles Wesley's words. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of Thy name. Jesus, the name that calms my fears, that bids my sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest glean. His blood availed for me. I feel like that's one of those hymns that every verse is familiar to me. Right. A lot of times you remember the first verse and maybe sometimes you remember the last verse, but this one, every verse is familiar to me. Well, there's some really powerful words and phrases mm-hmm. that stick out. Yes. That I think, I mean, I think if you were going to talk about him takes, which we won't do that till the end, but there's a lot of phrases that mm. kind of have impact. Yes. There's some powerful words and he's a poet and mm-hmm. he is a gifted writer. So I think his words and his lyrics are really beautiful across the board, across the board. We're going to talk about this one and some of his other hymns. But the thing that is missing to me, we said at the beginning, there's 17 verses in his original and we have four. Mm. But to me, the one that's missing is the fifth one. We do not have that fifth verse in our hymnal. So I thought we could sing it for everyone. Let's sing this fifth verse. And to me, it really 
wraps up the hymn. It's sort of like a benediction. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. It feels like the ending of the hymn. When I hear verse four, that to me doesn't feel like it's over. It feels like it's going to keep going. To God all glory, praise and love be now and ever given by saints below and saints above the church in earth and heaven. So I get that maybe the rhyming isn't great because it's given in heaven and it's trying to put them on one note. Um, But I just feel like that's like that benediction, that kind of verse of praise that kind of wraps it all up. I know. I, I'm kind of confused why they would take it out. Yeah. I mean, the thing about this hymn that I think is funny, I feel like you blink and it's over. Right. It's very it, short. It's very short. Mm-hmm. Having a fifth verse would be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there were 17 original verses, so they had to pick which one was yeah, which. They weren't going to do 17. No. So Kelly, he is the sweet bard of Methodism, so many Methodist hymnals Put his hymn first, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Now, I'm looking at a Methodist hymnal, the Methodist hymnal. It's from 1905, so, I mean, it's kind of an old hymnal. Mm -hmm. But not only is O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing number one, Mm -hmm. but there are six verses. Wow. Six. Is the Glory to God one in it? No. Right. I'm looking at another one, which is a Church of God in Christ hymnal from 1982, and it is number one, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, and it has five verses, but that one isn't included. Wow, no mm-hmm. love for the last verse. No. So, some interesting facts before we get into all of the verses. Okay. One, the only time all of these stanzas were published ever was in that first hymnal in 1740. It was the Wesley's first collection of hymns, and it was called Hymns and Sacred Poems of 1740. Kind of a clever title. (laughs) 1740. And it was compiled by John and Charles Wesley. And the original title was not, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Okay. The original title was, for the anniversary day of one's conversion. (laughs) That was not the title. That was the title. Now, it is tr- we said before that it was traditionally number one in the Methodist hymnals. And if you go through and read all of the stanzas, stanza 17 eventually was eliminated. Okay. Some of the words were problematic. Now, stanza six includes a note that says it may be omitted because it may be perceived as discriminatory or offensive to people who cannot hear, speak, or see. So if people want to include that one, they have that little disclaimer. They do. Yes, they do have it in there. So that actually, I feel like people might recognize this hymn, this verse, because this verse is included often. Yeah, Kelly, I totally know this verse. Right. I mean, I feel like, is it in our hymnal? I feel I like we've sung it. it was in, no, it's not in our hymnal, it's but not. it definitely was in a hymnal of mine yeah, at some hear, point. Hear him, ye deaf. Yeah, we'll sing it. Yeah. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. I mean, we've been in, I've been in this church for, you know, 18 years, and we've never sung that. So I'm remembering that from before? Maybe, yeah. I totally can remember singing about being dumb. Me too. 
And not really finding it problematic, mm-hmm. just finding it a little odd. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, those are words that we just don't really say anymore. No, of course so, not. You can tell this was written in like 1740. So the hymnal editor puts that little note in. Right. You know, you don't, you don't have to sing this verse. But it's interesting to me that they do put the disclaimer because they are Charles Wesley's words. He's such a hymn legend. I feel like they want to include They want mm-hmm. to include mm-hmm. it. If it was a lesser known, lesser gifted writer, yeah. I feel like it would have just been cut. Right, right. And maybe just to add to that, we wouldn't even have all of this information if it wasn't Charles Wesley. I mean, yeah. this would have just been forgotten. We have a lot of his writings. We have a lot of his words that kind of changed over time. Mm-hmm. So one of the original verses also changed some words. So this is the, the original final verse. And the original words say, with me, your chief, you then shall know, shall feel your sins forgiven. And the uh, new words, it says, in Christ, your head. So instead of saying, with me, your chief, which we think from what I read this week, we think that he was quoting Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 when Paul said he was the chief of the sinners. We think that that was what Charles was saying. Like, oh, I'm the chief of the sinners. Like, I need Jesus's grace just like anyone else. It still is a little unclear and a little confusing. So that line has been changed to, in Christ, your head. So it doesn't look like we're saying that Charles is our chief. Right. It's a little, mm-hmm. it's a little odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, this is, again, one of those times where if he was speaking about his poetry, if he was sharing his poetry, he could have talked to people mm-hmm. about it and explained. And maybe he had a sermon about it right. or whatever. Well, I'll tell you, we have so much of his journal entries. Right. And I'm going to share some of what, what I read this week. He writes so specifically about what's going on in his life when he's writing this hymn. So we know. We know what the inspiration is. Right. We know what was happening. All right. So 6,500 hymns, the sweet bard of Methodism. We already had two on our podcast. I'm asking Carrie if she knows any other Wesley Wesley hymns. Okay, Charles Wesley. Yeah. I mean, is it and can it be that I should gain? Yes. Yes. Good. Yes. Okay, so I mean, these are probably the ones that are most well known. And can it be that I should gain is a wonderful hymn. Yes. Well, we just sang this in church like a week ago. Okay. Rejoice the Lord is King. Yes. Yeah. I Carrie totally. knows her Wesley hymn. Yeah, it's, All right, it, anymore? Go, okay. it goes, Rejoice the Lord is King. That's a great one. Great hymn. All right, how about, is it um, Love Divine's All Love Excelling? Yes! Love Divine, All Love Excelling. All right, I think I'm done. I'm I, tapped out. <laughs> I don't think I know anymore. Oh, I just oh, I just opened up a, the computer to find it. Okay. How about come thou long expected Jesus? Yes. I, if I had thought for like another 30 seconds, I think I mm-hmm. would have. Mm-hmm. 30 seconds is a long time. If I had thought for like another five seconds, I might have come up with it. Mm-hmm. So if those are the hymns that we know, and those are probably the hymns that hopefully some of you know, mm-hmm. then there's like 6,495 that we don't know. Right. <laughs> and let me tell you that in that first hymnal from 1740 that was compiled by John and Charles that had 770 hymns, 623 were written by him. I mean, who wrote the rest? I know. I mean, who? I, it was like 150 that someone else wrote. And I read about him, and I, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. He did not write hymns as a duty or as a hobby. He wrote because it, he, could, he couldn't help but write. His soul, this is a quote that I heard. 
<clears throat> Attention, please. His soul seemed filled with music and poetry, and when his genius became touched by the divine spark of Christ's spirit, it burst into full flame. Wow. Yeah, and his hymns were constantly written. I mean, he was yeah. writing them on his travels, on horseback, on a ship. He was just always, always writing. And it seems that his most famous popular hymns that have stood the test of time were the ones that were written at major key points in his life. So first was the hymn, And Can It Be? It was written on the night of his conversion, May 20th, 1738. We know that Oh for a Thousand Tongues was written about a year later, May 21st, 1739. It was the one year anniversary of his conversion. We know that Christ the Lord is risen today. We talked about this on the podcast number 25, where it was the first chapel service in the Wesleyan right. Chapel in London. So the church that's named after them, they have the first service and he writes, Christ the Lord is risen today. And it wasn't an Easter service. No, it was no. just the opening. It was just the opening yeah. of the church. Yeah. yeah. And then his final hymn that he wrote was March 29th, 1788, it was on his deathbed called In Age and Feebleness Extreme. Now, is that a very well-published hymn? Well, I think the only reason why it's published so as much as it is is because it has right. that story, this story where he was writing it on his death, deathbed. And there are only six lines. Now, his physician, Dr. Whitehead, was actually the person that gave the details of his death to the public. Oh. And he actually, there are official memoirs of the Reverend Charles Wesley that were published in 1848. And it was the doctor's account that was included there. And this is another direct quote. <clears throat> Attention, please. While he remained in a state of extreme feebleness, having been silent and quiet for some time, he called Mrs. Wesley to him and requested her to write the following lines at his dictation. This is the day that he dies. He calls his wife in and has her write the words down. Do you want to sing that hymn for everyone? All right. So when we look at this hymn, I'm like astonished to see that the person who wrote the music is Thoro Harris. Wow. Does that name sound familiar? Wow. We talked about Thoro Harris once. 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 Well, actually, I think he popped up in another episode. <laughs> but his big hymn that we talked about came to us as a request, request from our friend Ashley. Episode number 37 called By His Stripes We Are Healed. It was another hymn we had never heard. No, and he's a black hymn writer. Right, which is... And we hardly, we hardly ever hear of right, that. Right, right. It was kind of amazing, and he wrote a ton. He was really big in the Pentecostal church. Okay. Those, and he was in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Thoreau Harris takes these dying words mm -hmm. of Charles Wesley and turns it into a hymn. All right, let's sing it. Six lines on his deathbed. In age and feebleness extreme, who shall a helpless Worm redeem, Jesus, my only hope thou art. Strength of my failing flesh and heart. So on his deathbed, he says, Jesus, you are my only hope. Mm -hmm. And you will be the strength when my flesh fails 
and mm-hmm. my heart fails. So I wanted to share the story of him writing on his deathbed mm-hmm. to just show that he was constantly writing. I mean, it was such a mission of his to be writing these words down that even with his body so feeble and frail, he was calling his wife in to write the words down. And he, he's not like delusional or delirious. I mean, he knows he's dying. Mm-hmm. He knows his body is failing and he has his hope in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have another little quiz for Carrie. Oh, man. Do you all want to play along at home? Okay. Okay, it's just just easy because it's all the hymns we've talked about. You have to make the guess here. Okay, are you ready to play? Name that Wesley hymn. All right, so Carrie, out of the hymns that we know, so I'm not asking you about something new. It's just the hymns we've talked about already. Which hymn is in the most hymnals? Oh, I feel like it has to be Christ the Lord is risen today. Nope. Oh, sorry, Carrie. That's it's, the one I would put in every. I know, <laughs> I know, me too. It's actually Jesus, lover of my soul. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good to know. Okay, now which hymn that we already talked about is in the least amount of hymnals? Okay, I would have said Jesus, I lover know, of my too. soul. That's why I think this is so interesting. <laughs> and we've already talked. Oh, about yeah, it. it's one of the ones we've mentioned. All right, so I would say in the least amount. Can I can I do the funeral one, the one we just did? <laughs> that probably is the one, but that's I'm talking about. Okay, okay, his one of his mainstream ones. ones. Um, <laughs> maybe love divines are love excellings. I might pick that too, but it's not correct. Okay, it's and can it be? What? Yes, I'm telling you. That's why I'm asking you these. It's so weird. All right, which is the shortest? I think it's this one. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. <sighs> this, this didn't go as well as I thought. I mean, <laughs> someone okay. is failing as a podcaster. Which one? <laughs> okay. So actually in my notes, the shortest one is that death one because it's only six lines. But, but I just said, I know. You didn't allow I it. Know. But it doesn't really work because the longest hymn is, <laughs> do you know, Gary? All right, well, wait a second. I was saying short when I was thinking it was four or five verses. Right. I wasn't really thinking of seven, his original right. 17. Right, So, oh my gosh. All right, Carrie, tell us which hymn is the longest that Wesley wrote. This one, that's 17 yes! verses. Yes, <laughs> All right, you got it right. I got one right. <laughs> okay, that, maybe that wasn't one of our better quizzes. Well, I think it's funny that I said literally, oh, four thousand tongues to sing for the longest and the, and shortest. the shortest. But I forgot about the 17. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, because really when we sing this, it does go by fast. It seems it like flies. such a short hymn. It flies. I think this is so funny, Kelly. How many times will we have Charles Wesley on the podcast? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so cool. All right. So we know that this hymn, oh, four thousand tongues to sing, was written on the one year anniversary of his conversion. Now, if if people know Wesley and they know his story, they might think that it's weird that he's celebrating the one year anniversary of his conversion in 1739 when he had already been an active leader in the Methodist movement for years. Why are we celebrating his conversion in 1739? And for the first time, for the first time in all of our times that we've researched the Wesleys, I'm seeing a little bit of strain and tension between Charles and John. Strain and tension? 
I don't like this at all. I mean, I think in our minds, we've just kind of romanticized the brothers that they worked together and they each had their giftedness. Like Charles was definitely a better musician and writer and John was the preacher and the orator. They complimented each other with their strengths. Mm -hmm. They were a perfect partnership. What did you learn? So the first time we see some friction between the brothers is when John was marrying Grace Murray and we don't know exactly the story but Charles wasn't happy that John was marrying Grace and this caused a mini estrangement between the two and it was at this time that Charles withdrew from active leadership of the Methodist societies he did not agree with John marrying Grace I feel so bad. I mean, this is news to us, right? We've I never mean, we've heard this before. Him for for two whole episodes. Mm-hmm. Now, moving on from that, he did okay. not approve of everything that John was doing. Specifically, he did not approve of John just ordaining preachers like left and right. He thought that there should be more process and procedure about that. But by that time, his work as an evangelist and a hymn writer for Methodism had already made its mark. I mean, he had already done the work, but he was slowly withdrawing from working so closely together with his brother in the Methodist movement and kind of staying more attached to the Church of England. This is all news to us. Wow. And we didn't even touch on this in the other two episodes. Right. It's almost like this was new information. Now, about a month before Charles's conversion. So this was in 1738. It was around April. Charles had gotten into a heated argument with his brother over conversion. They were arguing whether you were a Christian, whether you converted to become a believer as a process that took time or as a singular event. Okay. And Charles was greatly offended at his brother's view of instantaneous conversions. John said, you become a Christian, you pray to God, he saves you, and you are saved. It's an instant conversion. And Charles thought it was more of a process. On Tuesday, April 25th, 1738, he records the argument in his journal. Attention, please. He says, we fell into a dispute whether conversion was gradual or instantaneous. My brother was very positive for the latter and very shocking, mentioned some later instances of gross sinners believing in a moment. I was much offended at his worse than unedifying discourse. He goes on to say, Mrs. Delamotte left us abruptly. I stayed (laughs) and insisted a man need not know when first he had faith. His obstinacy in favoring the contrary drove me at last out of the room. So they're fighting, Carrie. They're arguing. They're arguing. I mean, I feel bad for Mrs. Delamotte. (laughs) Mrs. Delamotte was very upset. She left abruptly. I mean, I'm sure nobody wanted to see the Wesley brothers argue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, this question of whether or not you're saved instantaneously Mm -hmm. or whether it takes time, you know, is something that theologians talk about all the time. And we're not a theology podcast. No, we're not. And so we're not going to dive into those issues. But if you look at the Bible, there's multiple examples of people converting over to Christianity, to believing in Jesus Christ immediately. We see it happen, but we also can see a process. Oh, yeah. Well, think of the thief on the cross dying next to Jesus. He believed instantly. Mm -hmm. Instantly. And Jesus said, you will be with me forever in paradise. 
All right, how about somebody who it took a while? Well, I mean, if you just look at one of my favorite verses, Philippians 1, 6, Mm -hmm. he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a process. It's Mm -hmm. a working through. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do we need Jesus's faithfulness throughout our day, throughout our life? Or is it just happens once? Well, I mean, I feel like that's not about believing that's just about needing God. We need God throughout our life, but we believe we believe in an instant. Mm-hmm. Well, some people believe in an instant. Absolutely. So they're fighting over this right. and we've seen, right. you know, theologians arguing all the time over things. But he's Charles says, Charles our hymn writer says that it is not instantaneous. It is a process. It is something that takes time. You can't just, you know, convert and believe in one instant. How is that even possible? But he wrote Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing to mark the one-year anniversary of his conversion. Mm-hmm. So how did the conversion take place? So Charles had a huge change of heart in less than 30 days. <laughs> now, Charles, as a missionary, as a Methodist, he was looking to be saved by his own religious endeavors. He was trying so hard to... Um, to live a devout and religious life because that's what he was trying to do to get his salvation, to earn his salvation. Now, he was in America. He traveled to Georgia. We talked about that before. Um, and while he was here, he battled depression. Mm-hmm. The months that he was living in America were filled with difficulties, slanders, tumultuous relationships. Charles did everything he could to maintain his in- integrity amidst, I read, false accusations, trials, and tribulations. In July of 1736, he resigned his position and he left Savannah. And he would say that he wanted the day of judgment to come so that all would be solved. All his secrets would be revealed. And, you know, he said that he longed for this day not to glorify Jesus, but for his own selfish reasons. He wanted his innocence to be magnified. Charles would say that he found his hope not in Jesus, but he found his hope in religious pursuit. He was trusting his own religious works that were done for the Church of England, and he was hoping that they would give him a hope to stand at his own judgment after death. Finally, he leaves America, and he goes back to London. And this is when he starts having these conversations, conversations about a new birth and conversion, and he's thinking that's not the way it is anymore. That, That is not the way. It is wrong. And he heard a sermon by George Whitefield. Oh, wow. Whitefield? Did we ever come to, come to It's agreement? either way. Yeah. Sometimes it looks like it's white with the E and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. Okay, so we've talked about George Whitefield yes. and doesn't he have a nice local yes. connection to us in Massachusetts? Mm-hmm. He heard a sermon by George Whitefield called Nature and Necessity of Our Regeneration or New Birth in Christ Jesus. And I read that it is the talk of England. Wow. This spiritual conversion, this regeneration, this new birth in Christ. I mean, the Church of England, that wasn't what that was all about at all. You were born into your faith. You worked Mm -hmm. out your faith. And he had already argued with his brother John over this. Now, he met a Moravian and it was his ended up being his doctor named Peter Bowler. He had a toothache. He had a toothache. Oh. And Peter Bowler was there to help him. This was 
February 18th, 1738. So he met a Moravian. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that? <laughs> What's that? So the Moravian, the Moravian Church, mm-hmm. is one of the oldest Protestant denominations in Christianity. It dates back to the Bohemian Reformation of the 15th century and the unity of the brethren founded in the Kingdom of Bohemia. This was 60, 60 years before Luther's Reformation. Okay. They were German-speaking Protestants. And yeah, they're acknowledged as the first Protestants. And Moravia is a country. Mm-hmm. Moravia is an area. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not there today, mm-hmm. um, but it was an independent country, uh, part of the Habsburg-Austrian Empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this Moravian, um, who actually tended to Charles Wesley when he was sick, who Charles ended up kind of tutoring him and helping him speak English. Oh, this is what Charles writes in his journal about Peter. Attention, Okay. He asked me, do you hope to be saved? Yes. For what reason do you hope it? Because I have used my best endeavors to serve God. He shook his head and said no more. I thought him very uncharitable, saying in my heart, What, are not my endeavors a sufficient ground of hope? Would he rob me of my endeavors? I have nothing else to trust to. So he now he's starting to question, is my salvation because of me and because of what I've done? I mean, this this guy Peter doesn't seem to think so. Charles continued to search for what he thought he had before, but now he's figuring out he never possessed it. Okay, so that was like February. Then in May, he has this chance meeting with a mechanic. This man is named Mr. Bray. Mr. Bray the mechanic. Yes, and I have a friend named Mr. Bray. You do. I do. Um, And he said about Mr. Bray, this is another direct quote, he knows nothing but Christ. Yet by knowing him, knows and discerns all things. He was very impressed with him. He didn't know much, but he knew Jesus. Well, I mean, he's slowly figuring it out. I mean, all of these religious pursuits, all of this studying and praying and working and reading and Mm -hmm. asking and searching, Mm -hmm. he's realizing like that is not what it takes. Mm -hmm. And Bray being a faithful follower of Jesus himself, continued to pray for Charles, Mm. that Charles would see the light, that Charles would come to faith, that Charles would become saved and believe in Christ. And it was just fervent prayer, study, and encouragement with and for Charles. And we actually read that Mr. Bray kind of expressed concern that it was taking so long. Like, why was this taking so long? And then on Sunday, May 21st, 1738, Charles Wesley believed the gospel. He laid hold of Christ by faith. He was converted. He was born again. He was saved by grace through faith. And of course, the reason why we know so much is because of his journals. Cal, he wrote, I now find myself at peace with God and rejoiced in the hope of loving Christ. My temper for the rest of the day was mistrust of my own great, but before unknown weakness. I saw that by faith I stood, by the continual support of faith, which kept me from falling, though of myself, I am ever sinking into sin. He acknowledges that he will always be a sinner, that he is a sinner. He can only be saved because of Jesus. It can't be anything that he's done. And he can only be saved because he believes. Right. And he figured it out. And so... 
all of a sudden, everything changed. He gave up trusting in his own religious endeavors. He professed Christ alone by faith. On that Monday, he remarked in the past tense about what God had done for my soul in his conversion. On Tuesday, he begins to write a hymn upon his conversion. And what hymn is that? And And can can it it be? be. That's the hymn of his conversion. And on Wednesday, he speaks to his brother and he rejoices over John's conversion. And so not only are the two, you know, believers, their relationship is healed and they are reconciled with each other. So we have the leaders of the Methodist movement, the Mm -hmm. leaders of the Methodist church, converting over to Christianity. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable. These people, you know, who had taught and preached and wrote hymns professing, you know, the truth of who Jesus Christ is on this random day, they both convert. They both believe by faith. And to them, it was a huge, huge dramatic change. And we get, and can it be, from that moment. And then one year later, we get, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And we go back to that Dr. Peter Bowler, Bowler, Bueller, Burler. (laughs) We're not really sure of his last name because he actually quotes Peter's words in Oh, for a thousand tongues. And so his conversion, the anniversary of his conversion, and Peter's words are the hymnspiration. For this hymn. So what were Peter's words, Kelly? He said, if I had a thousand tongues, I would praise Christ with them all. Look, isn't that a great quote? Yeah. If I had a thousand tongues, I would praise Christ with them all. And it's so funny because, you know, it's a little hyperbole, mm-hmm. right? It's a little dramatic, but it doesn't sound hyperbole in Charles Wesley's hymn. No. Like he, it sounds heartfelt and Mm -hmm. thoughtful and Mm -hmm. just a creative way to praise God. Mm -hmm. And honestly, now that we know the story of Mm -hmm. his and Mm -hmm. the path that he took in his faith, his words in Oh for a Thousand Tongues just seem that much more powerful. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Right, right, right. And honestly, if we were going to do like a huge deep dive into Wesley's hymns, I think we would see a process of his lyrics kind of moving towards Jesus being the central figure of the faith instead of our works and, you know, what we're doing, what he can do. And this... Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing is a great example of that. So we have this 17 original verses and they do make a little bit more sense because it is his story. So I I hope that we, that people would take the time to look at all of the verses. I know. They tell his story. In a way, would you call this a testimony hymn? Yeah, maybe. Well, if you put them all together, definitely. Right. Put them all together. But just looking at the four or five or six you have, it's just a hymn of praise. And because the funny thing is, is that our hymns that we have, Oh, for a thousand tongues, my gracious master, Jesus, the name that calms my fear. He breaks the power. Those are actually in his big poem, his original poem. Those are actually verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Wow. 
Because verses one through six are more of the story. Right. So uh, this hymn just jumps right to the praise part. But one through six are more of about Jesus. On this glad day, the glorious sun of righteousness arose. On my benighted soul, he shone and filled it with repose. I mean, if I, we skip to verse four, it says, Then with my heart I first believed, believed with faith divine, power with the Holy Ghost received to call the Savior mine. And then verse six, I found and owned his promise true, ascertained of my part, my pardon passed in heaven, I knew when written on my heart. Right. So all of these verses mm-hmm. are just about him finally, you Fig- know, you figuring it, it out. out. Yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. You, Charles Wesley. Yeah. And then we have the, our, our verses, uh, you know, praising about Jesus. And then it ends, you know, kind of with the announcement to everyone else, to all of the other sinners. Hey, you need to listen to this too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it actually, it's a little, <laughs> it's it's hard to read. But, I mean, I can't imagine anybody singing this. No. So, Harlot, at, yeah. so like verse 15, mm-hmm. harlots and publicans and thieves to holy triumph join. Saved is the sinner that believes from cr- crimes as great as mine. How about verse 16? <laughs> Murderers and all <laughs> ye hellish crew. Yay. Ye sons of lust and pride, believe the Savior died for you. For me, the Savior died. Right. So see the journey that this hymn takes right. that we only get like a little snippet. A little pic- yeah. picture of it. Yeah. Now, of course... We have sung one tune yeah. that I think is probably the most recognizable. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit about the music? Well, Kel, we sang it a couple of times. Right, and we, we heard Raluca play We heard play Raluca it. do it. This tune is written by a man named Carl Glaser. Glazer? Mm-hmm. And he's brand new to Him Talk Twin Talk. We have never done Carl, Gla- Carl Glazer. Does he sound familiar to anybody oh. out there? <laughs> All right, let's hear about him. Carl Glazer was born on May 4th, 1784 in Weissenfels, Germany. The month of May is really important in this song. Really important. Now, he was born, his parents were Carl Ludwig and Marie Amalie, and his father was his first music teacher. He was incredibly gifted at a young age. I mean, he sang, he played organ, Mm -hmm. he played piano, and he really is known for composing choral music. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. It wasn't songs of the faith. It wasn't hymns. It was just German choral music. If you look at his music, it's all in German, and I don't know any of it. Oh, oh. you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Not much of his was translated to English. This I thought was interesting. He did take a break from writing, and he served in the Napoleonic Wars. Ooh. Uh, no, so I didn't know anything about the Napoleonic Wars. Did did no, you? No. No. All right. So, well, here's, you know, it's just some historical information. Okay. So basically there were a series of conflicts from about 1800 to 1815. So throughout Europe, you know, these two huge empires, Great Britain and France, are mm-hmm. just moving through Europe wanting to take over, wanting to have, you know, European supremacy. And so any weaker countries, they just tried to take over. Right. So you can imagine that the people of Germany were like, no, we we can't let this happen. Mm-hmm. We're German. We want to stay German. So from 1813 to 1814, Glaser joins the army. And there are several in this time period that he's there serving. There are several important battles. Mm. In 1813, there was the Battle of Leipzig, which is where Glaser lived at the time. Mm. 
So at the Battle of Leipzig, there were coalition armies from many countries, Austria, Prussia, Sweden, and of course, Germany, and they decisively defeated the French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte, which of course prohibited him from taking over the city of Leipzig. The Germans won. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting, and I feel like he was a composer. He was an artist. He was creative. I feel like he didn't want to join the army, but he did because he wanted to serve his country and make sure that Germany stayed Germany. Right. So in his short time serving in the German army, he, you know, he obviously took a break from composing, Mm -hmm. um, but then he went right back um, and we get this song. Mm -hmm. Now I dug and dug Kelly. Mm. I feel like this song was something, you know, whether it was a choral piece or an orchestral piece or something, but I couldn't find this tune. I just feel like this music was somewhere why do you feel that way? Because Lowell Mason found it and arranged it for, for Charles Wesley's poem. So what was Carl Glaser's original intention? Mm. Now, Lowell Mason totally acknowledges that it's Carl Glaser's music. Right, right. He doesn't just say, you know, I've changed it. It's, you know, it's essentially mine. He acknowledges that mm. it's Carl Glaser's tune and Lowell Mason just arranges it. And we've seen this in hymns I before. Know, I know, it does happen. But it's just, I'm so curious, you know, why Glaser wrote it and what it looked like. What form did it right. take? Was it an SATB choral piece? Right. Was it a solo? Was it and, chamber music? And Lowell Mason did the right thing and gave Glaser credit because we have seen that the arranger, the one who puts it together, oftentimes gets credited for writing it. Uh, totally gets credit. And and I mean, I feel like we need Lowell Mason. We would have not had right. the tune to right. go with these words if it wasn't for Lowell Mason. I mean, is there any way that Glaser wrote it, saw Wesley's words, and put it together himself, and Lowell Mason just sort of arranged the harmony? I mean, we see that happening a lot. Right, especially nowadays. But when I look up Glaser, I see nothing about right. his faith journey. Right. I don't see that he wrote sacred things as, at all. Right, so that so, probably didn't happen. Right, to think that he finds Charles Wesley's poem and is inspired to write music to it, I just don't From see From like that. 70 years before. Yeah, I, mean, I just don't see yeah. that happening. Yeah. So I feel like Carl Glaser wrote this song and Lowell Mason was the one who found it. Right. And he said this would match the words perfectly. Yeah, and maybe it didn't match perfectly, Callie. Yeah. Maybe he had to tweak it a little bit. But he did the right thing. He acknowledged Glaser mm-hmm. as the composer. I mean, a lot of times we see that arranger mm-hmm. get credit for composing it. Right. We see that. We see And that. so Lowell Mason did the right thing. He said, no, I'm not the composer. I, I just found it and arranged it. But he did name it. So, right. you know, it's so funny. Like, I wish he named it something that would be traced back to Glaser. Right, right. But so what is this word? Asmon. 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 <laughs> he names it Asmon. A-Z-M-O-N. And so, Carrie, did you try to Google I it did. to search it? I Asmon. Did. So if anybody wants to try to Google it, you can do your own little hymn talk, twin talk research. Mm-hmm. You put Asmon into your search engine, A-Z-M-O-N. Mm-hmm. And you know what comes up? What? Well, they keep thinking I'm spelling Amazon wrong. Oh, it like spell Amazon. checks and corrects me. <laughs> I'm not looking Auto up correct. Amazon. And of course, I feel like, I don't know, the powers that be at Google are like sending me to Amazon. <laughs> you must want to buy something. <laughs> um, so Asmon is the name of the tune. Lowell Mason names it. Mm-hmm. Now, and I read, and just from what we know about Lowell Mason, he likes 
picking him to names that are a little weird, that are a little off the beaten path. So the, he likes yeah. to get creative with these him to yeah. names. So, so he, Asmon fits that category. Oh, he would have had to dig to find this. But Asmon is a place. Yeah. You can see it on a map. Oh. Um, like an ancient map. And it's a Hebrew word, and it's the biblical site in the land of Israel, marking the western portion of the southern frontier of the kingdom of Judah. Wow. I mean, it's there. Very specific. So Asmon is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible twice. In the book of Numbers, chapter 34, verses 4 to 5. This might be a hymn talk, twin talk first, if we're reading from Numbers, Carrie. it's true. And again, in the book of Joshua. Mm -hmm. So I'll read the Numbers part. Okay. What does the Bible say? So we have Numbers 34, verse 4. There's a lot of places to name. Okay. And your border shall turn from the south to the ascent of Akrabim and pass on to Zin. And the going forth thereof shall be from the south to Kadesh Barnea and shall go on to Hazaradar and pass on to Asmon. And the border shall fetch a compass from Asmon unto the river of Egypt and the goings out of it shall be at the sea. Mm. So, I mean, he picked something incredibly obscure. Asmon, which I think is funny. Like nobody will know what that is, but anybody who does will have that like connection with Lowell Mason. Lowell Mason, I I get what you're saying here. Yeah. Yeah. Now this tune Asmon by Glaser and arranged by Lowell Mason is an incredibly popular tune. Right. So, Would you guess that there were a few hymns with this tune? Would you guess that there were, you know, several, like eight or nine? Or would you guess there were a lot at all? Because I I've only heard this tune with Oh for a Thousand Tongues. Okay, so I did a little digging. Okay. And I found 14 other hymns. Other words set to Asmon. And honestly, I just stopped looking because there were so many. So probably way more. Yeah. So look, oh, definitely more than 14. So look at some of these. And when I say the title, you will hear. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. In sweet communion, Lord with you. My God, the spring of all my joys. Mm hmm. All praise to our redeeming Lord, which I feel like I've heard. Come, let us join our cheerful songs. O God, whose law is in the sky. O for a closer walk with God. I mean, there's a lot, Kelly. Mm, mm. This one I think is interesting. Not sure I would want to sing this. Okay. That awful day will surely come. Why is it an awful day? The rest of the words, yeah. (laughs) That awful day will surely come. The words are by Isaac Watts. Wow. That awful day will surely come. The appointed hour makes haste. When I must stand before my judge and pass the solemn test. I mean, what do you think of that? Here's the fourth, the fifth verse. Isaac Watts, listen to this. Oh, wretched state of deep despair to see my God remove and fix my doleful station where I must not taste his love. I mean, 
I love Isaac Watts, but this one. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, well, there's a reason why those words, as, that's not a hymn that we still sing, right? No, we do not sing it. And actually, let's see how many hymns, hymnals was it printed in? Please be very few. Um, How about 362? Wow. That awful day will surely come. Yeah. There, well, there must be a place for it, some, for it somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I would venture to say it hasn't been published in a long time. Right. That would be my guess. Right. All right. So, Cal, I mean, we have a little bit on Lowell Mason. I mean, he is a hymn legend. Right. We have talked about him on many episodes. I know. So this is two two kind of repeats today. I know. Mm -hmm. If you want to hear more about Lowell Mason, we really encourage you to go back and listen to Joy to the World. That mm -hmm. was all about mm -hmm. him. I mean, we have like a special connection to Lowell Mason because right. he really started music education in the, in in the state of Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. A lot of what we even still do in the music classroom is because of what he's started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's a local guy. He's right here from Massachusetts. We could go visit his house. Kelly, I really think we should. We should. Field trip. Yeah, there's the Lowell Mason House Project. It's a historic musical landmark in Medfield, Mass. And... You know, we could visit it. I think they have events. I think they have performances. I really think we should reach we, out to them. We, Oh, my gosh, we could. I feel like we said this on one of our other episodes, <laughs> and we never did. And we never did. Yeah. But anyway, that's about the three gentlemen who yeah. worked on this hymn. Yep. And as far as we know, had no contact with each other no. at all. No. This hymn, you know, bypassed time and space and location mm -hmm. and we were able to get this beautiful hymn from it i mean just think about this charles wesley is in england mm -hmm. carl glacier's in germany, germany and yeah. lowell mason's masons in the united states of america mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um this was a great one. Oh, for a thousand tongues to mm -hmm. sing when you sing any praise song if you when you're in church on sunday or in your own private time i would love for you to just be thinking about if you had that many voices and mm. that many ways to praise God. Mm -hmm. Would you use all of them? Mm. Like that's what it's saying. And since we don't have a thousand voices, we should just worship with our all of our heart, right. our soul, our mind, our strength. With every fiber our, of our being, we worship. Mm -hmm. And I think that's in essence what Charles Wesley is talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. And I know that Wesley wrote it on the one year anniversary mm -hmm. of his conversion. But like for all of us, what are we thinking about when we're kind of remembering our own faith journey, when we're remembering that we turned our life over to Christ? What would be the words we would want in our mouth? What would be the songs we would want to be singing to kind of give God the glory mm. in our own story? And that's what he did. All right. Well, Kelly, do you want to share the music? Yes. Okay, yes. this is a treat. We have somebody that we're using for the second time. Mm -hmm. So back on episode 61, when we did the beautiful hymn, Take Time to Be Holy, mm. we shared the music of Dean Phelps. He's a solo artist with a guitar. He does some old hymns. He's very sweet, very simple, very folksy. It might not be exactly what people expect to hear for right. oh, 4,000 Tongues right. to Sing. Uh, you know, maybe they're thinking choral or pipe organ. But I, I like what Dean is mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. 
So we're going to share all of Dean's information in our show notes, but he is from Kentucky and he just combines the rhythmic beat of thumbpick guitar with this soulful vocal style. I mean, his CDs are available for purchase and we think you're going to be really blessed by his performance of Wesley's hymn. Mm -hmm. All right, so enjoy. Oh, 4,000 tongues to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God assist me to of your name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. And listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe. To God all glory, praise and love be now and ever given. And the saints above the church in earth and heaven. I mean, the thing with this hymn that is so cool is that it works. It works done in this kind of an arrangement, which maybe is uh, more appealing to the contemporary church. But I also really can hear it on organ. Yeah. I can hear it on organ and loud and powerful with all the stops and. I can hear it in a beautiful choral setting. Yeah. It has some versatility there. And that's really about the music. That's really about Glaser's music. It works. It works in, a, in many, many different ways. Glaser and Lowell Mason. Right. And then, of course, Lowell Mason putting it together. All right. Well, so thank you to Dean Phelps. He is so nice of him to share his music with us. We're going to share his social media information. Mm-hmm. You can find him on Twitter. And like I said, his CDs are available for purchase. All right. So, Kelly... Him takes. Him takes. I said this at the beginning. It's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So many lines are so impactful. There are so many not lines. Can, but I mean, can you I pick have one? one that I'm like drawn to? Do you? Have- I have one that I'm drawn to. Jesus, the name that calms my fears, that bids my sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. So. Our hymn take take is the same? Well, I'm picking Tis Music in the Sinner's Ears. I'm picking just that line. Yeah, me too. Kelly, we're coming up with the same hymn take. We did this on Lead Kindly Light. I feel like you're copying me. I feel like you're copying me. I mean, I guess it makes sense that it's like this kind of musical, you know, poetic, 
creative way. It is music in the sinner's ears. So, you know, when you hear that phrase, it's like no matter what is going on when you hear that music, you know, mm -hmm. it's in your ears. Um, and so it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. If you look at the, ver at the line before, right. Jesus, the name that calms my fears, that bids my sorrows cease, Tis music, music in the sinner's yeah. ears. So it's supposed to be a relief. It's right. supposed to be pleasant. It's supposed to bring joy. Right. And we're acknowledging that we're sinners. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can experience joy, the only way we can have that relief that right. music will bring yeah. is by relying on Jesus. And comfort. It bids my yeah. sorrow cease. Yeah. And I just think, I, I think I'm drawn to this because of my research on Wesley. Mm. He, you know, wasn't, totally looking to Jesus. He was looking at his own self, his own works. And it was like, no, 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 no. He figured it out. It is Jesus. Mm. He's life. He's health. He's peace. All right. We really hope you guys enjoyed hearing about Wesley. <laughs> I feel like we could keep talking I mean, about him for a while. Talking. We will be back in two weeks. Oh my gosh. For episode number 81. 81, which is not a milestone. It's pretty lame, actually. <laughs> 81. Can we just skip 81? No, no, no. So that will be June 5th, Cal. Oh my goodness. Um, But thank you for listening. Thank you for being par a part of these discussions. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ben, for bringing the request to us. Thank you, Raluca, for playing it for us. Yeah. Thank you, Dean, for sharing your music mm -hmm. and of course if you are interested in Sneha's hymn cards yes please uh, check out her website we'll have the link in our show notes and we'll be sharing it on social media thank you for supporting us thank you for sharing your love of hymns with us mm -hmm. we'll see you next time bye everyone bye <laughs>